my name is Dwayne McCrary. I'm the team leader for Adult Explore the Bible. And I'm going to take just a few moments to introduce to you the book of Romans. We'll be studying this book during the spring quarter of 2020. Martin Luther, in his preface to his commentary on Romans, called this letter the chief part of the New Testament. He goes on to say that every Christian should occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. It can never be read or pondered too much, and the more it is dealt with, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. That phrase, daily bread for the soul, was the inspiration for the spring 2020 cover for Adult Explore the Bible. Many Bible teachers consider this letter by Paul his greatest work. There's very little debate about who wrote this particular book. In fact, Romans 1.1, right off the bat, it states, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. The very first word in this letter is Paul. Now let's think about Paul just for a moment. He was formerly known by his Jewish name, Saul. He grew up in Tarsus. He became a Pharisee, was mentored in the Mosaic Law and Jewish traditions by the Rabbi Gamaliel. He initiated severe persecution of the early followers of Christ. That all changed abruptly when he encountered the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. We find that recorded in Acts chapter 9. In that same passage, Paul is told that he is a chosen instrument to take the name of Jesus to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. In Acts 13 through 28, we find Paul's fulfillment of that calling. It includes three missionary journeys into the heart of the Roman Empire. During that third journey, he spent about three years in Ephesus. After successful ministry there, he determined to visit Macedonia and Greece before returning to Jerusalem. Then the plan was for him to go to Rome. Upon arriving in Greece, Paul spent three months, probably in Corinth, we find that in Acts 20, it's here that he wrote his letter to the believers in Rome, probably in the winter of A.D. 56-57. In Romans 15.25, Paul mentions that he's on his way to Jerusalem to deliver an offering. This offering was collected in Macedonia and Achaia, which supports this date. Toward the end of the letter, Paul wrote a short reference about Phoebe a faithful church member in Sincrea. That city is located about seven miles southeast of Corinth. Apparently, Phoebe had arranged a trip to Rome and wanted to make contact with the church there. Paul vouches for her, and in turn, Phoebe delivers Paul's letter to the church in Rome. Now let's think about that church in Rome. Who were these folks? There's no description in the New Testament of the founding of the church in Rome. Most Bible teachers today believe the church was founded not long after Jesus' resurrection. Luke mentioned that visitors from Rome were among those who were in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. The idea is that these new converts carried their faith back to Rome. Historians point to a conflict among Jews in Rome around AD 49. The dispute is between Jews who accepted Jesus as Messiah and those who didn't. 
Claudius was fed up with the debate and with the bickering, so he expelled from Rome all Jews, both Christians and those who were not Christians. Luke mentions in Acts 18 that Aquila and Priscilla were among those who were ordered to leave Rome. They end up in Corinth where they work with Paul. Usually exile from Rome was not a permanent thing, which explains why Aquila and Priscilla are mentioned at the end of Paul's letter to Rome. That indicates to us that they had returned by the time Paul wrote this letter. Based on the scenario just presented, the leadership in the Church of Rome was primarily Jewish before AD 49. After the removal of the Jewish Christians from Rome, we can assume that Gentile Christians stepped up and began to lead the church. Tensions may have run high when the Jewish Christians returned to Rome and found their seats were occupied by others. The tensions Paul addresses in his letter between the strong and weak may very well be pointing to this. In chapters 14 and 15, Paul commands each side to accept the other. So why did he write this letter? Well, Paul gave two indications in his letter about what motivated him to write the believers in Rome. First of all, in Romans 1.8, we find out that he says that he had heard about their bold and enduring faith. Paul didn't start the church in Rome and likely had never visited the city. Nevertheless, he desired very much to preach the gospel there and have a fruitful ministry, especially among the Gentiles. Secondly, Paul had a long-range plan in mind to evangelize Spain. He hoped not only to spend time in Rome on his way to Spain, but also to gain their assistance for his journey. He would need their support, both financially and spiritually, to fulfill that dream. The letter to the Romans follows the same type of pattern you see in other letters of Paul. It begins with a doctrinal section, and it's followed by a practical section. If you look in the personal study guide, the daily discipleship guide, the leader guide, the commentary, or quick source, you're going to find an outline to Romans. You're going to find that in chapters 1, 1 through 17, that's classified as the introduction. Verses 1, 1 through 18 through 320 is defined as our need. Following that, for, uh, chapter 3, verse 21 through 521 is designated as justified through faith. Chapter 6, verse 1 through 839, the focus is on freed through Christ. That's followed in 9-1 through 11:36 by grace offered to all. Those first 11 chapters are Paul's theological exposition. In chapters 12 through 15, really through 15-13, Paul then talks about righteousness being demonstrated. In those sections, he talks about being empowered and gifted by the indwelling of the Spirit, being united as one spiritual family, being guided in Christ-like love, submitting to God-ordained authority, living in the anticipations of Christ's return, being patient with other believers, and going the extra mile to build their faith. And he also talks about living in a way that glorifies God. In chapter 15, verse 14, through the very end, which is chapter 16, verse 27, is Paul's conclusion. He describes his desire to preach the gospel in places that had yet to hear it. He detailed his future travel plans that hopefully included Rome. He commends Phoebe, and he, re he records greetings to various believers in Rome, including former missionary co-workers.
He adds a warning about divisive people and reminds the Roman believers about their good reputation. He then gives a few greetings from those who were with him when he was writing the letter and then closes with a benediction to the glory of God for revealing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Within this letter, we find some significant themes. Of note is how Paul begins and ends the letter. He begins the letter by declaring that he had been set apart for the gospel of God. We find that in verse 1 of chapter 1. He concludes the letter by saying that the same gospel for which he had been set apart would strengthen his readers. We find that in 1625. This gospel had been promised in Scripture by God's prophets. We see that in chapter 1, verse 2, and now had been fully revealed in Christ. He notes that in chapter 16, verse 26. Then he points out that the purpose of this, the reason behind all this, is so salvation might be brought to all people, including the Gentiles. And you find that in chapter 1, verse 5, and then chapter 16, verse 26. When you see how he began the letter and concluded the letter, then you understand that the main theme of Romans is that salvation is offered through faith in Jesus to all. Now there are five big themes that you see throughout the book of Romans as well. First one is God's judgment on sin. We find all have sinned. Both Jews and Gentiles are without excuse and in danger of facing God's wrath apart from the gospel. That's not the end of the story. A second theme is God's provision of salvation. The gospel of Jesus Christ alone is the provision of salvation for everyone. God cannot merely overlook human sin and remain righteous. To satisfy his justice, God provides a payment for sin through the death of his son, Jesus the Messiah. A third key theme is spiritual empowerment through sanctification. In several passages, Paul declared that if God would save us, even while we were yet sinners, how much more would he subsequently give believers the strength to live holy lives? You find this in chapter 5, 9 through 10, verse 15, verse 17, and verse 20 through 21. All of that's in chapter 5. In Christ, believers die to an old way of life and are raised to live a new life of faith and holiness. A fourth theme is God's ongoing plan for Israel. Paul longed, deeply longed, for the salvation of his Jewish brothers and sisters. He explained that the ancient covenant with Abraham always foreshadowed the coming of Christ and the inclusion of Gentiles in the gospel. True, Gentiles have been grafted in, but that did not negate the fact that God still had a place for Israel in his redemptive plan. A fifth theme is God's design for righteous relationships. People who by faith surrender themselves to Christ experience transformed lives that glorify God. The gifts of the Holy Spirit empower believers to humbly serve one another, to live in right relationship with the governing authorities, to demonstrate their trust in the Lord, to love one another, and to abide by the law of love, expressing God's love to not only other believers, but those who are outside the faith as well. Ultimately, in all things, believers of every background and ethnicity are to glorify God. The next 14 weeks will be challenging, yet worth the effort, as we examine 
the deep truths set out by Paul in his letter to the Romans. Our prayer is that God will remind us afresh and anew the truths found in Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. May God bless you as you lead your group through the study of Romans. Romans.